who were your role models growing up? Who were your role models growing up? I've been thinking about role models lately as my nephews, Burks and Kai, get a little bit older. And I couldn't help but think about role models. The other night I was guest teaching for the students out in the lodge on Wednesday night and I was looking at the middle school table, the high schoolers at their tables and I couldn't help but put myself back into that stage of life and to think about my role models at the time. Did you have role models when, when you were growing up? I couldn't help but think about my role models at that time because when I was in middle school, I had a number of important role models in my life. And role models were important for me, shaping me who I was to become. And let me just tell you this. I don't know if you can imagine me in middle school. Just picture it in your mind. I don't know if you can imagine me in middle school, but I was, I was not a cool kid. I, I struggled a little bit. I, I spent you know about 30 minutes every day on my hair trying to make it look okay. I, I spent hours at the store shopping for the right shoes and the right backpack. I always made sure my mom dropped me off an appropriate distance from the school so that people wouldn't see us interacting with each other. I was not, I was not a cool kid, but I tried really hard. Do y'all want to see a picture of me when I was in middle school? Okay, this is about to be rough, but there it is. That was me. No commentary needed. I wasn't very cool, but my role model, on the other hand, he was extremely cool. My role model at that stage of life was a guy named Chip. And Chip was one of my small group leaders in my youth group when I was a youth at Conyers First United Methodist Church. And Chip was cool. Chip was number 18. Number 18 on the Rockdale County High School Bulldog football team. He was a linebacker. Later, he'd go to play for Georgia Southern, and every week, you know, he painted up his face with the black stuff. I don't even know what it's called because I'm not cool enough to even know what the stuff football players put on their faces, the black stuff, you know. He was awesome. He drove a Mustang. But then, I don't know if it got in a wreck or what, but eventually he traded his Mustang for a truck with mud tires. I mean, this guy was cool. And he always had a beautiful girl by his side. We had two things in common. He was a redhead, and he was also a Christian, and he was my role model. I looked up to him, and I wanted to be like him when I got older. Who were your role models growing up? Who are your role models in life now? It's a question I actually posed on Facebook earlier this week. And it was interesting to see all of the different responses as people posted about who their role models were. Some people said that their role models were people in their professional world, people in their careers who were on the same kind of career path that they wanted to be on, and so they looked up to them in the workplace. Other people mentioned that other parents were their role models because these parents had raised godly children and they wanted to raise children like them. Other people mentioned that their grandparents or their parents were their role models or maybe a a childhood teacher. I was actually surprised when I asked the question because I thought people were going to list celebrities and famous people for some reason, but actually people mentioned people close to them in their everyday life, people they saw at work, people they saw in their homes, people they saw in their everyday life. 
And I guess that makes sense because when we're thinking about role models, so often we need role models in life because when we come upon a situation that we're not exactly sure what to do, we look to other people for how to do it. And so if we have kids and we see a couple who's raising great kids that we look up to, we, we try to be like them and imitate them. And so they put their kids in swimming lessons at two years old. We put our kids in swimming lessons at two years old. We get married and we want to be a great couple and we see a couple we look up to and respect having regular date nights and so we try to schedule a date night or, or we're trying to, to look up to someone ethically and we see them being generous and honest so we try to be generous and honest. We all have these different role models in life. Even people who think of themselves as independent thinkers often have other independent thinkers as role models in life. And an interesting thing happened on Facebook when people were talking about their role models on my feed. People were, began tagging their role models on Facebook. And the common thing as role models were tagged that they would respond with was, wait, really? Me? I'm your role model? And that was Chip's response as well. When I told him years ago that he was my role model, he just laughed. He laughed and he said, I was your role model? Do you know where I was going in that Mustang? Do you know what I was doing on the weekends? He was kind of embarrassed, actually. Because he thought, if you, if you really knew me, then you wouldn't say that I was your role model. But we all have role models in life, but so many of us, we don't feel like our own lives are worthy of imitation, right? We feel like, yeah, we're, we're doing okay in some areas, we're struggling in some areas, but very few of us would offer ourselves up as a life worthy of imitation, as a role model for other people. And I think that's why the words that Paul writes to the Philippians today as we continue in this series in chapter 3 can be a little shocking for us or maybe even come off as a little arrogant to us. Because Paul, in a pretty straightforward way, says, hey, let me be your role model. I mean, verse 17, this is what he says. Join together in following my example. He's writing to the Philippians here, this church in Philippi. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Here he's saying to them pretty straightforwardly, Hey, let me be your role model. Pattern your life after mine. And he's actually mentioning other people too. He's saying, live your life like we are. And the we he's talking about here, it's likely Timothy and Epaphroditus, other people he mentions in this letter. Timothy is saying, hey, let me be your role model. I'm someone who's preaching the gospel. I'm living out the gospel. Now I'm in chains for the gospel. You should live your life like me. He's saying, hey, Live your life like Timothy. Timothy is someone who's constantly putting other people above himself. He's putting the interests of Christ and the interests of others above his own. He's saying, live like Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is a servant of the Lord, a servant who served me and who served other people. And as he did, he risked his life in service to Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, you should live like us. You should love like us. You should serve like 
us. And that can seem a little uncomfortable for us today that they're offering themselves up like that. But in their day and age, this was a very common form of learning. Very often teachers would say to their students, imitate me, follow me. This was common in the Greco-Roman culture and in the Jewish culture. They would say, look, I'm teaching you all of these things, but I'm also living them out. So watch my life so that you can learn how to live these things out in your everyday life as well. And if you think about Jesus' life, that's exactly what he did, right? When he called the disciples, he said, come, follow me. And they learned not just as he taught them, but also as they lived life together. And they imitated him as they had him as their model. So Paul is offering this up here, but Paul's not doing it in a in an arrogant way. Because what Paul is doing is Paul is saying, follow me, as he says in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, I'm following Christ. Epaphroditus is following Christ. Timothy's following Christ. So follow us and you'll be following Christ as well. I don't know if any of you, you you know how little ducklings do? You have the mother duck. Is that what it's called, a mother duck? Mother duck, and then you have all the little ones, right? And they follow in line right behind her. Paul is saying, look, I'm following Jesus. You hop in line and you follow me. And as we follow Jesus together, we'll be heading in the same direction. And Paul is pretty emphatic here. He's pretty emphatic here about following him because Paul knows that we're all following someone. Whether we realize it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, whether we're being intentional or not, we're all following someone. We're all patterning our lives after someone, either things that we've inherited or things that we're learning along the way in our culture. He knows that we're all following someone, and he also knows that who we're following determines our destination. And so he wants the Philippians to get it right. He wants them to get it right, and he's writing with a sense of urgency here because he knows that while he is headed in the direction of Jesus, he's following Jesus. There's a group of other people who are headed in a different direction, who are following a different way of life, and he's telling them, look, don't go down this pathway because you're going to be tempted to, and I need to warn you now. And he talks about this other pathway as he continues in this section in verse 18. He says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul is saying there's a group of people who are headed in this direction. Their end, their ultimate destination is destruction. Eternal separation from God. Their God? Their God, he says, is, is their stomach or their bellies. He's saying their God is gratifying the appetites and the desires of this world. Their glory? It's in shameful things. Their minds? are set on things in the present, set on things in this world. And Paul is writing to the Philippians and he says, I have tears. 
I have tears because he knows these people are so misguided and he doesn't want anyone to follow this direction because he doesn't want anyone to end up in that destination. And he writes with tears and he says, don't follow them, follow us. And in verse 20 he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Scholars aren't super clear about who this group of people was that Paul was warning them against. They're called enemies of the cross. They're not super clear exactly who this group was, but many commentators say that it was likely a group of people claiming to be Christians. That the people Paul is warning against is likely a group of people who say some of the right things, they believe some of the right things, but their lives live contrary to the cross of Christ. The way they're living out their faith every day isn't the way of Jesus. And so Paul gives them a warning. And he says, don't live as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Instead, imitate the cross of Christ. Your end is heaven. Your God is God our Father who sent His Son Jesus Christ into this world and who now sends His Holy Spirit that enables you to live like Him. Your glory, your glory is to be in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of this world. Your mind should not be set on earthly things, but your mind instead should be set on heavenly things. And I don't know about you, but when I hear these words of Paul, when I hear him warning us not to go down this path and to go down this path, I stop and I have to reevaluate who I'm following and where I'm going because I don't want to end up in the wrong place. I don't want you to end up heading in the wrong direction either. And so it's important for us to stop every once in a while and to reevaluate the direction we're heading in and who we're following. We have to ask ourselves, are the people we're following, following Jesus Christ? Are the people we're looking up to, looking up to Jesus Christ? Are the people we're taking advice from, taking up their cross and following Jesus daily? Or are they doing something else? Are they leading us astray? Those are important questions that we need to ask ourselves every once in a while. And a few years back, I came upon the story of a man named Robert who began asking these questions later in his life. He began asking himself, Who am I becoming? Where am I heading? Who am I following? And as he began to wrestle with these questions and answer them for himself, his direction in life changed. So I want to invite you to sit back for about five minutes and to watch and to hear Robert's story.
I started this clinic, I was hoping that more doctors would follow my lead and join me maybe even part-time, but no one did. And in fact, over the last eight years, it seems like I've become somewhat of a pariah or an outcast. When I used to work in the ER, I was making good living, very comfortable. We saw a number of uninsured patients, and uh, I recognized that a lot of these patients were, were my neighbors. Some of them literally my neighbors. People like barbers, sawmill operators, workers at convenience stores, mechanics. I had to see these people every day who I know could be treated more compassionately, more cost-effectively in another setting. I felt like basically even though I was working in the ER, I was walking around them and I was not being a neighbor to them. Kept asking myself the question, is this what a good Samaritan would do? I really sensed in my heart that God wanted me to provide medical care for these people outside of the ER. And who was I to question what God wanted to do? Uh, about eight years ago, I opened Patmos Emergent Clinic uh, to provide care for the uninsured. On average, I have about 5,000 patient visits a year. About 60% of those don't have insurance. About 25% uh, have uh, high deductible commercial insurance. So how are you feeling today? Didn't sleep very well. Did you take your blood pressure medicine this morning at all? No. No? Okay. I took it. All right. A lot of people thought what I was doing was foolish, and they probably were right. Uh, in the eyes of the world, I think it is foolish, but God has a, a different strategy. He tends to choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Taking care of the uninsured, that's the ultimate foolishness in healthcare today. The last eight years trying to more authentically be a follower of Christ is um, a lot of times a struggle. Struggle financially. I've foregone quite a large amount of income. The struggles of recognizing that my skills are deteriorating from the ER. But the biggest cost really would probably be with my kids because I've foregone putting money aside for their college education. My kids didn't have a choice in that. And that, that, that bothers me. I wonder sometimes if it's really worth it and I could work maybe a shift or two in an ER a week and do as well financially as I am now and have a lot more time off to do other things, spend time with my family. Don't know. How you doing? I've been worried about my toe. This morning, it was swelled and throbbing real bad. You weren't gonna go to the ER. Uh, the reason you weren't gonna go to the ER is what? I mean, that thing needs to be expensive. Expensive. Hey, I'm being garnished for 12 years ago. Well, let's take a look at it. That's tender right there. They'll start having press there or just hurt? Well, it's just in certain places. I'm gonna get you basically 20 days worth of this medicine to take twice a day. All right. Let me get you a work excuse. No. <laughs> Joe was a guy who um, got good care. He wouldn't have gotten good care. That's, that's satisfying. He would have been another invisible casualty of our healthcare system somebody who would have fallen through the cracks and somebody I was able to help.
Take it easy now. I'll do it. All right, stay safe. It's been worth the risk, I think, because I kind of afraid of the type of person I would have become had I continued doing what I was doing, to become more hardened and callous and willingly blind. Robert's story illustrates some of the challenges of following the way of Jesus Christ, of imitating the cross. Because you see, so often when we're following Jesus and we're living the way of the cross in this world, we'll experience challenges. We'll experience discomfort. Oftentimes, people will call us, as they called him, foolish. You can't forget that the cross in Roman culture was a tool of execution. It was meant for humiliation. It was meant for defeat. That's one of the challenges for living the way of the cross. But another challenge is that when we live contrary to the cross, so often in our world today, that gets celebrated. That gets us more friends. It makes us more comfortable, gives us more prosperity so often. But Paul is able to remind us and encourage us to live as imitators of the cross because he knows that this world isn't the end. He knows that our life here isn't the end. He knows that for Jesus, the end wasn't the cross, but on the third day, he rose from the grave. And that death doesn't have the final word. And so Paul is able to encourage us. He's able to encourage us with a word of hope. Letting us know that whatever our life looks like in this world, we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope that one day everything will be made right. We have the hope and we have the knowledge that one day Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead. We have the hope that there is a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom full of justice, of peace, of love, and of mercy, and that kingdom will have no end for eternity. And he's saying, until that day comes, we can look forward to that day with hope, but we're to live as citizens of heaven, of people looking and living with that hope for the future, even now in the present, even when it's difficult. We're to be those people, people of the cross, people of the resurrection. We are to live as citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, people who are following Jesus are following other people who are following Jesus. There's one final thing I don't want us to miss. And that is the reality that just as we follow other people in this world, other people are following us. Robert's children are learning from him. They're learning what it means in his culture, in his community, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Our friends, friends who are far from God, they only know of Jesus because of your life. Your life is the only Jesus that they see. Our students who are coming in now for communion, they're looking to us as a church to help show them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ here in Henry County today. They're looking to us. Other people are looking to us. And I don't know about you, But I want to lead people to the cross. I want to lead people to Jesus. And so this morning, are you leading people to Jesus? Or are you leading them somewhere else? It's a question you have to answer in your heart. It's a question I have to answer. And really, it's a question we have to answer as a church. Today, as citizens of heaven, we've gathered around the Lord's table and we're going to share in the sacrament of Holy Communion together. And we're sharing with millions and millions of Christians worldwide today because today is World Communion Sunday. And we're gathering around the Lord's table with other Christians, other citizens of heaven. And we're believing in Jesus. We're seeking to follow Jesus. But as we gather, we're also admitting to Jesus that so often we have failed to follow Him. We're confessing that in so many ways as individuals and as a church, we've led others away from Christ. And as we gather, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come. Forgive us and transform us into holy people. We're gathering together looking to the future. To the day when there will be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. We're anticipating that great heavenly banquet when we gather around this table with people from all ages, all, all stages of life, all nations. And we're doing so with hope. And as we gather and we share in this meal this morning, My hope for you is that on that day when we're living eternally with God in the kingdom of heaven, that there will be someone there who says, I'm here because I followed you as you followed Jesus. My hope is that someone will say that about me my hope and prayers that someone will say that about you as well. Amen.